Blog Talk Radio. Hi everyone and welcome to the Holistic Health Hour with me, Holistic Life Strategies Coach, Aleka Thorvalson. This unique and inspiring show allows us to look at our lives in a whole new way, tuning into our health, our wellness and happiness from a mind, body, spirit and soul perspective. It's my intention to create a new kind of dialogue about our health, about our bodies, about our relationships and our lives, empowering transformation from the inside out. Welcome. Welcome to part two of the Food, Feelings, and Finding Freedom series. Part one is archived, so you can access that via my website, alekasky.com, under the Media and Resources page. You can also access it via Blog Talk Radio, Mind, Body, Spirit, You. All of our shows are archived there. In part one, I introduced the series, gave a little bit of um, understanding or education about what the holistic theory is in general. And then I also talked about what doesn't work with this particular issue of healing our, um, our, our weight. Um, and finding freedom in our body, and that is dieting. So I talked all about why diets don't work and the faulty science behind it. And um, I, many of you resonated with that. Many of you have tried many diets and came to your own conclusion that they didn't work, and they really don't. Diets are about between 95 and 98% ineffective. That means they don't work the vast majority of the time. So in part one of the series, I explain just why that is so. Great show. Take a listen. And I appreciate all the feedback. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences about why diets don't work in your life. And a couple of you sent me emails of gratitude for explaining just why it's so. Because you could, it allowed you to create some compassion in your own life, that you are not the one to blame here, that diets by definition are faulty. So awesome. I love feedback. Contact me if you'd like around this series or any of the podcasts that I've done. You know how I welcome feedback. And you can do that through my website, alekasky.com. Send me an email. You can also find me on all the social media outlets. I'm on Facebook and Twitter under Aloha Healing Arts, on Instagram under my name. Okay, so that's part one. This is part two, and we're going to continue to focus and look at food, weight, and body image issues from this holistic perspective. So that means that we're really going to look at this issue through the lens of our whole selves. So from a mind, so maybe our feelings and psychology from a body, our physicality, and from a spiritual, so maybe a soul perspective. So from a holistic perspective, symptoms are actually embraced to have wisdom for us. And that's important. So what that means is that what is showing up in our lives, whether it be physical, right, so maybe discord in our body in some way, feeling imbalanced in our weight, or maybe even having pain in our body somewhere. Or symptoms can be experiential, so life events that keep occurring, 
and we're not quite sure what that's about. So unsettling life events or challenging life events that keep showing up. When we can look at the symptoms that are showing up, you know, whether they be discord in our body, upset in our emotions, or challenging life events, when we can look at our symptoms, we can often see that they are reflections of a much deeper cause. So in, from a holistic perspective, our symptoms are very important in helping us heal. And they have wisdom. This particular show tonight that I'm going to be um, talking through is all about cravings. And there's no, I don't know if there's a better way of really looking at the dance between our symptoms and healing than to really look at cravings. Because cravings can be a doorway into our inner selves. And they, by tracking cravings, they can tell us a lot about what we are really desiring, what we're really needing to look at, what we're really needing to heal, where we might be holding ourselves back, where we need to push forward, where our stuck emotions might be, or where perhaps stuck places of fear that are keeping us from lasting change. So cravings is a great way to look deeper at ourselves. And so that's what this part two is going to be all around, looking at our cravings as a doorway to self-discovery and getting more information about clearing this issue from our lives once and for all. So we're going to look at cravings from a biological, psychological, and a more emotional perspective. Now, cravings, by definition, are a strong desire for a specific food. And, and honestly, there, there can be a biological basis for cravings. Cravings can be a way that our bodies let us know what nutrients are lacking and what we need to function optimally. And... You know, in this culture, we tend to have a plethora of food. So a lack of food isn't particularly our issue. However, biological cravings can still show up, and I'm going to tell you a little bit how that can show up. For me personally, I remember experiencing this very profoundly when I was pregnant. Um, first off, I'm, I don't eat a lot of meat. I'm just My body doesn't need it, it seems. I'm just one of those people that does better without a lot of um, meat products. Always have been, you know. My body seems to do best on vegetables and whole grains. And so I've, from the time I was young, I've, I've been sort of, you know, um, grossed out by meat. That's my thing. Now, I don't think it's wrong for other people to eat meat. I have no prejudice against meat. Do what your body wants you to do. But for me, I just never felt really balanced when I ate it. I never really craved it, never really liked the taste of it, none of that. So then I got pregnant, right? And this was so interesting because I remember at a specific point in, in my pregnancy pretty early on, I remember having this intense and specific craving for beef, and I've never experienced that in my life. Like, up until that point, you know, meat kind of made me a little bit nauseous. Like, I just would be grossed out when I saw a commercial on TV and there was this big hamburger. Like, I just, it didn't resonate with me. And 
then what happened was a burger commercial would come on TV and literally I was transfixed. It looked like the most delicious thing I'd ever seen. I could feel my mouth water and I actually began to daydream about hamburgers and steaks and I would see meat and just, I would want to eat it. It was so bizarre. So this was I mean, it was utterly fascinating to me because it was so intense and it was unlike anything I'd ever felt before. Now, knowing what I know about nutrition and being a little bit self-aware, especially at that point, um, I recognized there's probably something going on in my body, like I might be anemic or I need some iron, right? And so, honestly, I did two things. First of all, I went out and got some organic hamburger and ate it. Right? If my body needs it, I'm eating it. And the other was that I requested um, a blood test for anemia. And sure enough, I was, I was very anemic. And so then I began supplementing with some, some really good food, um, great, you know, kind of food-based iron, some gentle iron. And it actually passed, and I no longer craved meat after those first few times taking, taking the iron for about four or five days. It actually passed, and I went back to normal. But clearly my body was trying to tell me something important. So it, it was so, it, it was definitely one of the um, first times I felt a, a very physical craving for something that I needed. Now subsequently, since then, track in yourself if there's times that you've craved certain foods and they've felt really, they felt good to you. Um, I know that in the winter time, I crave certain foods. Maybe they're, they're warming foods or soups or um, squashes, you know, that are, are more of those hearty, wintry type potatoes, carrots, and they're warm. And in the, in the winter, summertime, I tend to eat a lot more fresh foods, salads, raw foods. It just was my body wants. And there's, there's such an important wisdom in really listening to our bodies on what it needs and what it desires. And this is something that we're going to be talking about throughout this series, which is getting in touch with that inner intuitive nutritionist, right? That inner way of eating that says, this is what you need. So that was one of the first sensations I ever had of a a strictly biological craving. So cravings, this this concept of cravings, are nature's way of telling us what foods our body needs for optimum functioning. What is the fuel required for the machine? And if you have the, you know, have the opportunity to watch a person who has no food issues at all, watch them eat, they will choose a very varied diet and they will choose food that their bodies naturally require, right? They intuitively have this, this natural balance that occurs. It's, it's important to recognize that there is a balanced way of eating when we can listen to this inner, this inner nutritionist, so to speak, that tells us what foods we crave. It can be very seasonal. Certain foods we crave during certain seasons now I know we can bring in the psychological aspects of this too because in the winter time and the holidays and foods like that. But I just want you to think biologically for a minute and the natural cycles that occur within our bodies. During the summertime, we tend to eat lighter. 
we have cravings for foods that um, are raw or cool. And in the wintertime, we might want foods that are more hearty and that are warming. And that's normal and that's natural. And if we can get into that cycle, this is a great way to find that balance with our body. So honoring our body's cravings can, can be really helpful to finding this balance that we so desire. I said earlier that we tend not to have a shortage of food. That tends to not be our problem. We seem to have a plethora of food around us. If we want something, we go to the grocery store and we can buy it. If we go to a restaurant, we often get large quantities of food. We, we live in a very abundant culture in that respect. Um, but interestingly enough, many people are often very depleted in nutrients. And one of the interesting things about um, studies done on people that are obese is how nutritionally deficient they actually are. So we may be eating foods that are very nutriently deficient themselves. If we eat a lot of fast food or white breads, um, processed foods, these are all very nutritionally deficient. They don't have a lot of the nutrients that we need for optimum functioning. So we may get biological cravings continue, you need to eat, you need to eat, you need to eat, if we're not eating foods that have the nutrients we need. And that's important to remember, that we need to feed our bodies nutriently dense foods. And, and we know a lot about the way our foods are processed these days and sitting on, on the shelves of supermarkets and things like that. So sometimes even very healthy foods don't have the nutrients that we need. So even supplementing a bit with um, greens, um, a really f a great food-based multivitamin, these are all really important ways that we can help our body get the, get the fuel and the nutrients that it needs so we don't get these biological cravings that signal our hunger and then we eat. Right? But if we're not eating the right foods, if we're not supplementing in the right ways, then we may be continually deficient. So that's important to remember. Just because we're eating a ton of food doesn't necessarily mean we have all the nutrients that we need. Cravings are not just biological. They can also be psychological. So foods can affect our mind. There is no doubt that certain foods have mind-altering properties. And typically, they can either be stimulating or calming. Now, we know from studying ancient traditions like Chinese medicine or Ayurveda that the teachings explain the more subtle and energetic ways that food can interact with our system. We know that certain foods are more calming and certain foods are more energizing. Certain foods are warming and certain foods are cooling. And science has really shown that as well, that certain foods can have measurable effects on our psychology. Chocolate, for instance, has a chemical in it that is called phenolethylamine, or PEA. And this chemical actually stimulates the natural feel-good hormones in our brain. Interestingly, it is also in the, um, it's also one of the same ingredient in the drug MDMA, otherwise known as ecstasy. 
Yeah, chocolate makes us feel good. We know this, right? It's stimulating as well because chocolate also contains one of the most concentrated sources of theobromine, which is a similar chemical to caffeine, so it kind of gives us that up effect, that stimulating effect, yet it doesn't have the kind of jittery um, effect that caffeine can have. So chocolate can literally affect our brain. It can make us feel a sense of ecstasy and energy and energized. And oh, and just an FYI for dog lovers out there, adding to my, um, adding to my nutritional nerdiness here, that the reason dogs need to stay away from chocolate is because they lack the specific enzyme needed to break down theobromine. Another example of this, tryptophan is an amino acid necessary for serotonin production. We know this. And serotonin is a well-known brain chemical, vital for our well-being, and it's essential for, for many things, um, specifically our energy levels, mood, many other life functions. One way to get our brain to secrete a whole bunch of serotonin is to eat a meal high in tryptophan which encourages its release. And also, if we eat a lot of carbohydrates, it can spur our body to secrete insulin, which also increases tryptophan's uptake across the blood-brain barrier. Right? So the foods, anybody already know this? Because, I mean, think about that, the whole Thanksgiving thing, right? Turkey tends to be high in tryptophan, and we eat a lot of tryptophan, and all of a sudden a whole bunch of serotonin is released, and we're feeling very relaxed. Right? The other thing, of course, is because usually we're very, very full, and when we're that full, our body needs all of its focus to digest its food, so it, it makes us feel pretty slow and lethargic um, and relaxed so it can focus its energy on digesting. But either way, we feel pretty darn relaxed, don't we? So foods and what we're eating can really affect our brain chemistry. That's a fact, and we know that. So cravings can absolutely have a, a physiological and psychological component. So how about cravings and emotions and feelings? Are they linked? Well, the answer to that is, oh yes, most definitely. And I think this, looking at this link, the link between what we're feeling and that um, association with cravings is probably the most important one that we want to study if we have issues with body weight um, or issues regarding our body image or food in some way. Because typically people that have this particular issue, this, this imbalance in their bodies in some way, have linked emotions or feelings with food in such a way that it's become pretty imbalanced. Now, I think it's pretty easy to see just how emotions and feelings and food get anchored together, right? So think back on holidays. Think about events. Most of the time, they all center around food in some way. I mean, think of holidays from your past and foods and tradition, you know, and foods that we eat and, and traditions that you keep alive today around holidays. How about Valentine's Day and chocolate, right? Thanksgiving and turkey and pumpkin pie, Christmas and cookies or breads, birthdays and cake and ice cream. There's this link. It's an assumption. These go hand in hand. 
You know, even the names that we give each other, sweetie pie, honey bun, muffin, right? It's so interesting to look at this connection between love, connection, right, love, safety, and food. Think about um, going way, way back, the connection that we get as babies. One of the ways that babies really feel that sense of safety and connection is through nursing or bottle feeding, if that's what you chose to do, right? There's a sense of upset holding you to my breast and comforting you and offering you nurturing. So we get this connection very inter, you know, interlinked at a very, very young age. Um, have you ever had the experience, how about this one, of not being hungry or not wanting a particular food but being somewhere, right, and feeling like you had to eat because the food that was offered to you Right? It was given to you and you didn't want to offend someone? Right? How, much, how many times have we eaten because we don't want to offend somebody? How personally we take eating and food. It's just food. But we put so much on top of that. Right? We add so much to the meaning of food. So looking at it from this perspective, I think it's really easy to see positively Right? Or negatively, food is anchored to emotions in, in a very profound way. So have you associated a specific food with an event or experience that brought you a feeling of comfort or safety? You know, for me, thinking back and sharing my story, um, in my case it was donuts. And the way that I backtracked to figure out what the link was right, was that there was a time in my life when I struggled with eating and struggled with food and I ate emotionally. Um, I had all kinds of facets of an eating disorder actually, but there was definitely emotional connection to, to my eating and then my restriction. So in my case it was donuts and I found myself craving a lot of donuts. And going back and really tracking, where did this donut thing come from? Where did I eat my first donuts? What was the experience? Who did I eat them with? How was I feeling? What was it like? And for me, I was able to go way back and remember that many Sundays as a family, we would go to a specific store. And I would often go with my dad. And we would go real early in the morning. And it was one of those places that a lot of the donuts sold out after you know, specific time, so we had to get there early. And so we would go and we would buy these awesome donuts. And it was a time that I really had one-on-one -on -one with him and we were up before dawn and there was such a feeling of freedom and camaraderie and really love and connection. And I really began, you know, at, at that point there was a sense of association beginning where feelings of comfort, acceptance, and freedom, and love, right? At least what I, I thought was love at the time, with donuts. Hence, it was the, the birth of an emotional craving, right? A connection, an anchor between feelings and food. So from then on, interestingly enough, I'm, I found myself craving donuts whenever I felt down or sad. And of course this wasn't conscious. I didn't make the connection until much later when I was able to work with my cravings and backtrack to figure out, what is this telling me? 
You know, and over the years, I ate lots and lots of donuts, hoping that one day I would find that same feeling of comfort and acceptance and freedom. You know, the problem was, of course, donuts couldn't give it to me. So what, so what is it for you, right? Is it ice cream when you were down as a child? You got home from school and your mom made you ice cream on bad days? Maybe it was chocolate under your bed when you felt afraid? For many people with food or weight issues, emotional eating in general, food becomes a way of comforting ourselves, either feeling better or maybe numbing the difficult feelings. And this is not inherently bad because feeling better is a pretty good coping strategy when you don't have many tools to work with. It works for a while. The issue, however, becomes a problem or the behavior becomes a problem when it becomes the only tool in our arsenal. Because life continues to happen and feelings keep coming up. And if we keep stuffing or numbing instead of feeling, it creates a perpetual endless cycle of never enough. We never can get enough food to fill the hole we feel or to discharge the fear, sadness, anger, or shame. What happens is we feel, and then we crave that food that's going to, you know, stuff it or numb it, and then we eat. And then we might feel better temporarily. It works for just a little bit, but then we feel again, and maybe we feel guilt or shame on top of the original feeling that we never felt in the first place. And then we crave, and then we eat, and then the cycle continues. Because this is the truth, we will never solve our emotional upsets with food. We will never fill the void or the disconnect that we feel with food. It's like trying to put a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't fit but we can spend whole decades, maybe lifetimes, trying. Maybe this time the cake will work. Maybe this time the donut will work. And that's the insanity that addiction really creates. Trying to do the same behavior and expect different results. So the way out. Right? The way out, of course, is by going within. From this perspective, then, our cravings become a great teaching tool because there is a huge connection between what we crave, what we commonly overeat, and what we are emotionally or psychologically stuffing. So just like when I was able to track way back, when I wanted donuts, what I actually wanted was connection or love or a sense of freedom. So tracking, right? Tracking your cravings and really going back, what is it that you're really craving? So if we find ourselves craving a food over and over again, we, we are likely not craving the food itself but the feeling we have associated with that food. Remember chocolate? Well, chocolate, psychologically, we know this, right? We've already been there. And very likely emotionally, 
usually is associated with feeling loved. And typically it's associated with intimacy. We crave chocolate because we crave love. We crave the freedom, the calm, the lightness, the euphoria, the connection we feel when we are in love. And every year, Americans spend about $5 billion a year on chocolate, which is ironic because it's about the same amount we spend on diet or weight loss products. I find that statistic rather staggering and interesting. So cravings can tell us so much about what we are really craving what we are really craving in our lives. And by extension, what are we avoiding? Because that's the other part that cravings can show us. Where are we not taking action that we need to? Where are we needing to be accountable? Right? And this is where feelings show up. So when we can actually start backtracking our cravings to the original feelings, the feelings give us the wisdom to tell us where to go. And if you want more on that, like listen to my show on feelings because I go through all of that, the wisdom of all of our feelings. So when we can make space for our cravings and what they are telling us, they can reveal what we are really starving for, what we are hungering for. So we can become like translators on this path of transformation where we start to link feelings, beliefs, thoughts with cravings and we can begin to crack our own code of why we are doing what we're doing and what the real issue is at the core of our weight or body image stuff. We can become aware of our feelings and then act from that place, what we are really craving. Because as I said, we will never heal an emotional wound or need with food. It's not possible. So my assignment for you is to make peace with your food cravings. And I'm not asking you to, certainly, you know, we want to bring in compassion here. There's no war that needs to be declared on them. So can we honor them? Can we allow them to be a code for us to, to break or a puzzle that we can work out? Can we listen to them? Can we create some space around them? What does that look like? When you have a craving, you stop and you pay attention. I'm not saying you don't eat that food. But before you eat it, what's really going on? Backtrack. So today we begin to hold the space in a new way with our cravings. So we can really use them for the wisdom that they can give us. So some questions to get you started, and then I'm going to actually give you some common associations with certain foods that you crave and the likely emotional need that's really at the core of it. So before you do that, perhaps you can ask yourself this, these questions. What foods do you typically crave? Do you crave specific foods certain times of the day, certain times of the year, certain times of the month? And can you trace any of your cravings back to a specific memory or time in your life? So think back, that food, when's the first time you had it? Let it teach you. 
So I'm going to just give you a few here um, included in this list that I have. And if there's a more extensive list in my e-course if you are interested in taking that or if you'd like to contact me, I can certainly send it to you. The book is, and as well from Doreen Virtue. She wrote a great book called Losing Your Pounds of Pain, um, which got me started to really look at the association of what foods we crave and the emotions at the core of it. And from there, I've kind of added my own to this list because of what I've found over the years and years of talking to people and doing this work. There is an extensive list in Doreen Virtue's newest book. Um, well, I don't know if it's her newest now, but her newest book around um, food or weight or body image issues called Constant Craving. Um, and some of this information that I talked about today in this podcast, I certainly want to um, refer to that book because it's where I learned a lot about craving in general. So check it out. Um, two thumbs up for Doreen Virtue's books. So I re really recommend you taking a look at her books if you're interested, and especially if you'd like to go deeper into your own cravings. I think there's some pretty extensive how-tos in that book. So we talked about chocolate. Um, very cool. Now, anything crunchy, so if you like chocolate, Right? This is a good one. If you like chocolate, we talked about intimacy um, and feeling deprived of love or sexual issues. There's always a sexual component with chocolate. It doesn't have to be, honestly, but there's that deep intimate connection piece. So if we add nuts to that, there's, or anything crunchy, there's a frustrated or angry element to that. So anger might be coming up if you find yourself, you know, um, wanting almonds, al almonds and chocolate. What's that? Now I'm totally spacing on the chocolate bar. Hershey's with almonds, maybe. Um, yum, right? But if you're finding you're craving that kind of thing, you know, what's going on in your life around intimacy and frustration? How about, um, let's see, another one. Vanilla ice cream. I think that's really interesting. That was one of the things I always craved. Um, and vi vanilla ice cream, this is an interesting sort of factoid that... Vanilla ice cream tastes very, very close to mother's milk. So how, what can we say? Wanting nurturing, comfort, as in that kind of mom's nurturing, feeling safe, totally surrounded and loved. Okay, another one that people really crave a lot of are baked goods, like breads. That's another nurturing thing, for sure. Um, wanting to feel grounded, so you give too much and you need to get it, you need to receive back to you. Also, it's a way to relax in some way or if you're feeling very tense, so anxiety can show up here. Spicy, spicy foods can be associated with depression. You know, life seems rather dull, so we try to spice it up any way that we can. Um, sugary sweets. Sugar, sugar, sugar. That can be we need energy, right? We're feeling really burnt out. Or we're feeling like our life lacks sweetness in some way. How about fast foods? Fast foods is interesting. I think fast foods and freedom go hand in hand. Really wanting to feel free. Now, many um, binges tend to be a call for freedom just in general, wanting to have a, a a sense of authenticity and freedom, and that's what's lacking in our lives. Um, but fast foods in particular. So it can certainly show up as inadequate or um, feelings of unworthiness. 
Okay, so that gives you, those are kind of the main ones, I think. I'm looking at my list. Those are, those are sort of the, the main ones. Again, if you want to know a specific, if you have a food that you specifically crave, contact me. And obviously, these are just sort of, you know, two or three words to, to go into that, however, and to describe that, that food and that emotional um, connection. There's many, many layers. And sometimes it's, it's, we have to excavate on a roundabout journey to find the root aspect and how it shows up in your life. But once you do, of course, say, for example, that what you're really craving is authenticity and freedom, that's something we want to work on. So many times when I'm working with clients, the food is not that necessarily the thing that we're focusing on as far as what to eat and how much to eat and when to eat, but more, you know, how do you find freedom and authenticity? Because when we can really feel that craving, then we no longer need the food to either distract us from it um, or to, make, to kind of put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, so to speak, to try to mitigate it or deal with it in a way that it's ineffective, right? So when we can really get to the core and the wounding here, maybe there's a deep hurt at the core of this or a trauma that you need to, to heal in some way. When we can do that, then what's amazing about that is we no longer have the need to crave that, that have that emotional craving and it goes away because we're actually satiating the issue that's really in question or that really needs satiation, the hunger at the core of our wounds. I hope that was helpful around um, finding more balance using you know, these, these issues that show up in our life as a way to go deeper into ourselves and really flush out the roots at the core of our behaviors so we can change it once and for all. Because isn't that what we all want? I mean, we don't want to continually work on this issue. We want it gone. Speaking from my own experience as someone who's run the gamut of eating disorders from emotional eating, binging, to restricting, to um, purging, you know, you name it, been there, done that. I can tell you that although it seems like there's no way out of this issue, there absolutely is. It's I'll tell you what recovery looks like. Certainly it looks like finding peace in your body and um, with your weight. There's no doubt about that. But I think the real aspect of recovery that is so important to me is the freedom I feel from my thoughts being consumed by it. When I was deeply in my eating disorder um, or weight issues, I mean, you name it, years and years and years of this, it was all I thought about what I was going to eat, what I was not going to eat, and, and then all the, the negative self-talk around how I looked and what that meant. That took up my mind all the time. And recovery for me really is, that's gone. I just don't think about it. Food is something that I enjoy and is part of my life, but I certainly don't spend very much time thinking about it. And that self-talk that used to be in my head 24-7 is gone, which is a lovely thing. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're wondering how you're going to go through this or if you're really stuck, please know that 
there is hope and there is help and you absolutely can be free from this issue. And I encourage you to go find some help. That is the only way I got through it, for sure. And why I'm so inspired to help other people. So if you're out there, you know, know that it's possible and I encourage you to try because it's so much better on the other side. Oh, can't tell you. All right, everybody. Um, thank you again for listening. If you have questions, comments that you want to add to this show, this series, um, please feel free to contact me via my website, alekasky.com. And until next time, take care.